Two women were profound influences in my spiritual walk. My grandmother, Ashley, is the only reason I'm here. She brought our whole family into the kingdom. And my mother. Uh, my mother said many things over the course of my life that I still remember that uh, feed me. One of the last was in one of the last months of her life that she battled cancer. And as I was talking with her about what the new normal was for her in her daily battle, she said something that still blesses me. She said, always remember, Rick, old age is not for wimps. And every day I understand more and more how much wisdom there is in that. Because I am completely aware of what the future holds for me if God in His grace gives me more laps around the track. Okay? My hair is going to fall out. My stomach is going to stick out. My brain is going to blank out. And someday I'm just going to tap out. Okay? At least when I was young and I would hurt, I knew why. I could explain the ache. I'm in that phase of life now where things hurt and I don't even know why. I take proactive Advil. I just take Advil because I know before the day's over, something's going to hurt. Because as I get older, I have become much more experienced at groaning. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. So we're in Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. And Paul says that we as Christians enjoy no condemnation status. We are in Christ. We are heirs. We are sons and daughters. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we have a great inheritance that's coming. But he also says... That in the family of God, while we do not have to live with fear, we still have to live with pain. He says, you're going to share in the glories of Christ. But right now, you have to share in the sufferings. And so he continues that thought in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing With the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice. But by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And brought him to the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. As we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Something's wrong. Every single day we are reminded of the bondage 
of decay. And something is wrong. On the one hand, we absolutely affirm that God is good. But on the other hand, we simply can't deny the truth that, to paraphrase Elvis, there's a whole lot of aching going on. My friend Randy Harris says he is not an optimist. He says optimism is for those who do not understand the situation. Because there's a lot of pain around. But it's not even so much the presence of pain. It's the absence of hope. It's the seeming futility to be able to resist the bondage to decay. I'm a college football fan. And when I was a boy, the dominant team for a number of years were the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They didn't just win, they would beat teams by 30 to 40 points. So they're playing Iowa State, and everyone knew Iowa State had no chance. Now, typically in the bookstore at Iowa State, before a big game, they'd put up a banner, you know, bash the bears, fry the frogs. This week, the banner said, maintain dignity against Nebraska. (laughs) Because what else can you do when there is no hope? And life just seems to be characterized by futility. We all share the ache. Now, we may not have the exact same ache, but we all ache. But we respond to the ache in different ways. Some of you fake the ache. You put on a silly smile, and when someone says, how are you doing? You say, fine, and you're not really fine. And long term, that's not going to be a very healthy way to cope with the hurt. And some of us, we don't fake the ache. We make the ache somebody else's fault. We cope through anger or through blame. And we get mad at our family or we get mad at church or we even get mad at God. And I just want to tell you, after 35 years of preaching, not one time have I seen a bitter heart lead to a better life. So if we're not supposed to fake the ache, and if we can't make the ache someone else's fault, where are we supposed to take the ache? And Paul has a great and amazing answer. He says, God ache? Then groan to the glory of God. Paul says it would be great if there was more groaning and less whining and griping. He's not saying we should deny the ache. He's saying we should define the ache in view of the gospel. Remember the Thessalonian church was worried about people who had passed before Jesus returned. And Paul says mourn that. That hurts. But then he said to them in verse 13 of chapter 4, But you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Yes, you grieve because life hurts. But he's saying Christians ought to be able to teach the rest of the world how to be sad. Not because our problems are smaller. 
but because our hope is so much greater. Hope produces a kind of joy that can live with tears and even transcend tears. So some of you saw the stunning interview a couple of weeks ago of Rick and Kay Warren on Pierce Morgan. The famous pastor from California did his first interview since the tragic news of his son Matthew, who had all his life had battled mental illness, had committed suicide. And there on national TV, Rick says, when they got the news, we were sobbing. We were just sobbing. The day that I feared might happen one day since he'd been born, the day I prayed would never happen, happened. And I remember as we stood in the driveway just embracing each other, Kay was wearing this necklace that had the words of a book she wrote a year ago called Choose Joy. And she held it up and said, Choose Joy. And in my mind, I thought, are you kidding? How can I choose joy in the worst circumstance of my life? But even in that moment, we were trying to say, we're not in control. But we do have a greater hope and we do have a source of joy that isn't based on our circumstances. And it was a holy moment. Groaning is not a response of despair. Spirit-led groaning is a rebuke of despair. Because we groan hopefully. And what does that mean? Well, first Paul says it means that groaning is universal. And by that, I don't just mean that all of us groan, we do. I mean the universe groans. Paul says, do you know the whole creation has been groaning? For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In other words, the earth we have is not the earth we had. And it still can bring glory to God. And you can see the ocean or a sunset or a mountain range. And you can hear creation giving glory to God. But listen real close. And you will hear creation say... But you should have seen me before. You see, the Bible from the start rebukes the notion that sin is just a personal thing. God created the world and he put man over it as vice regent. He said, I want you to govern the created order. And when man rebelled, it impacted everything he was responsible for. So creation did not choose to rebel. It was subjected, not by its choice, to a curse by the Creator. Because it was impacted by the sin of the one who was to govern it. And now the earth behaves like it's in need of therapy. There will always be another earthquake, another tsunami, another outbreak of a plague... Another famine. I remember years ago, I watched the devastating footage of the earthquake in Mexico City that killed hundreds 
And you have all these tragic images of collapsed buildings and digging through rubble for bodies. And at the bottom of the footage, there was this line, courtesy of S-I-N. Now, it stood for Spanish International Network, but it had a much deeper implication. We call cancer and famine and earthquake and disease and malnutrition normal. And Scripture says it is not normal. The earth we have is not the earth we were meant for. It's not normal. Paul wants you to know this. Donald Miller was looking at some pictures of these children that were just horribly deformed by the radiation poisoning from the Chernobyl accident. What do you say to that? And he wrote, I believe without question that none of us are happy in the way we were supposed to be happy. I believe nobody on this planet is so secure, so confident in their state that they feel the way Adam and Eve felt in the garden before they knew they were naked. I believe we're in the wreckage of a war, a kind of Hiroshima, a kind of Mount St. Helens with souls distorted like the children of Chernobyl. And as terrible as it is to think about these things, as ugly as it is to face them, I have to see the world this way in order for it to make sense. I have to believe that something happened. And we are walking around holding our wounds. Paul wants you to see the cosmic devastation of sin. So that you will appreciate the greatness of salvation. Jesus didn't come just to personally forgive you of your sins. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Peter preached in Acts 3. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets you talk about a restoration movement God does restoration movement God has been preaching for years I'm going to make things right I'm going to get the earth back the way I meant it to be creation was subjected to frustration but not in anger in hope That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Right now, creation's in bondage. Everything's winding down. The scientists know this. The second law of thermodynamics, entropy. Everything's winding down. Everything's going from order to disorder. From design to chaos. Everything is on the path to decay. But creation... Never stops singing songs of hope. And what does this mean for you? It means that when you hurt and when life happens and you get kicked in the gut, don't personalize it and think some distant deity is angry at you. But understand, you are sharing in the groaning of the whole universe. And you need to join the chorus 
Because groaning is beneficial. See, we're not here to debate this morning whether or not you are going to groan. We're here to ask, is your groaning going to be transformative? And Paul boldly says there are two virtues that get developed when you groan. Hope and patience. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Because only where ache is real are hope and patience a big deal. He said the same thing earlier in chapter 5. We also have joy with our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. Hope is that settled confidence that God is going to keep His promises. And patience is that strength to endure with grace instead of blaming and whining while we wait For those promises. And the promise that we hope and we wait for the most is the completion of our salvation. Paul says we have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. That aching is actually increasing our passion for resurrection. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 5, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his spirit. And listen, I keep talking to you about learning to hear, listen to, feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because if all you ever hear is the propaganda of death and decay, how can you not despair? But God has sent you a message. It's deep inside. Listen. And the Holy Spirit is saying, death and decay don't get the last word. And the world, the world desperately needs the witness of a people who hurt and ache just like everybody else. But in the midst, they display a grace and a peace and a joy that transcends understanding. And so Paul says, groan. Groan to the glory of God. While you can. 
Because groaning is temporary. And he uses a powerful metaphor here. The metaphor of the pains of childbirth. I told you last week I'm an adoptive father. Our first two precious children, Michael and Morgan, we adopted. I understand the power of the image of being chosen for the family. But then five years after we adopted Morgan, what the doctor said would never happen happened. And Jamie got pregnant with our precious Matthew. And I got to do what I never thought I would get to do. And actually be in a birthing room watching the birth of a human being. And it was horrible. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I will never forget the sweat and the screaming and the pain and the begging for medication. And, and Jamie had a hard time too. And, <laughs> and it was awful. And it was wonderful. Because of the joy. That it produced. The joy is so great that women are willing to go through it again. And nobody takes a picture of the labor. They take a picture of the baby. And so what Paul's trying to do in the midst of the ache and in the midst of the pain. He's trying to say, but look at the picture Of the greatness that lies ahead. He's not trying to minimize the pain. He's trying to emphasize the hope. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And maybe that means... That when Jesus comes back, it'll all make sense and you'll understand why and all your questions will get answered. Or, maybe it means that when Jesus comes back, the joy and the glory will be so overwhelming that you won't even need to know why anymore. All I know... All I know is, well, it just doesn't get any better than this, is a lie. And did you notice, Paul says, not just that this this glory will be displayed to us. He doesn't say, now, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that will be displayed to us. He says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that is going to be displayed in us. In us. You are the hope of glory. You are what history's headed to. You are God's pinnacle. Everything he's been doing is bringing the universe to a moment where he can put you on display and you're going to be like Christ and glory, his glory is going to be in you. It's always been all about what God wants for you. This is what's coming. In fact, the Bible says that even creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, right now, we don't look so glorious. 
But I want to tell you something. Resurrection life for every one of you that is in Jesus Christ. Resurrection life has already started on an inevitable course inside you. And nothing can stop it. And everything, everything that has been touched by the redemptive work of Jesus is headed on an unalterable course toward glory. And so Paul says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And so I got to tell you, I look around the world and where things are headed, and I don't see a reason to be optimistic. But I look at Jesus, and I see a great reason to be We have a great story. That's why I like the story of the little boy, and he's getting to pick out a puppy, and he sees one, and its tail is just doing like that, and so he chooses him. And his dad said, why would you choose that one? He says, I like the one with the happy ending. I do too. (laughs) And our story has a very happy ending. We have a great hope. But waiting is the hardest Part of hope. And life is hard. And everybody in this room has a really deep wound. And I got to be honest some things are not going to get fixed until Jesus comes back. And we're just going to have to learn to groan to the glory of God. Not fake the ache. Not make the ache somebody else's fault. But we've got to learn to take that ache to a greater place. I don't trust people that are all grin and no groan. And by the way, to the critic who says, well, see, that's what I thought. Religion's just a crutch. Yes, my faith is a crutch because I limp. I'll admit it. Life's kicked me pretty hard and I got the scars to show it. And you do too. We all limp. So why are we faking when we could be groaning? We groan in two directions. We groan in frustration because... Bondage to decay stinks. But we groan in anticipation because we know the new normal is coming. And so we take our ache to a greater place. I know where that place is. Peter says, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That tomb is empty. My hope tank is full. And if I'm holding on to a risen Savior, I can rise above anything. I am... I love the story Martin Luther King tells about a 70-year-old African-American woman in Montgomery, Alabama named Sister Pollard. It was the Montgomery boycott. She didn't have the means to a car. The only way she could get around was to take a bus, but she wouldn't. She wanted to join the movement. That meant every day she would have to walk several miles. And people would offer her a ride, but she would decline because she was going to support the movement. And he says that people would pull up and they would say, Sister Pollard, aren't you tired? And she would say, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. That's the way to groan. So let me pray over you. Stand up for this prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week in our service, we're going to create a special time of worship. Where we're just going to have prayer all over this room for people who ache. But right now, right now, we're going to have some prayer people down here at the front. And you want to talk to somebody about your ache? Do you want to talk to somebody about hope and finding Christ? We're here to bless you. While together, we bless God.